that God has prepared me in advance for what uh, for an experience that was upcoming. And uh, several years ago, I was on a mission trip, uh, and I was flying to Mexico. And I was reading this book by uh, a pastor named Erwin, Erwin, Erwin McManus. I'm glad my dad named me Chris, um, but Erwin McManus. And um, he, um, he, was, he wrote this book called The Barbarian Way. And it was, it's a really great book. And uh, he, in this book, he, he, uh, I was reading and I was shocked when I read it because he was talking about a conversation he was having with his son. And I, my, my children were little at the time. And, and his son asked his dad a question. He says, Dad, would you ever put me in a situation that was unsafe? And his dad looked at his 15-year-old son and he said, absolutely I would. And I was shocked at that. I was like, you know, I mean, here I was living in a world of car seats and, you know, the mummified kids in the back of a car. I mean, anybody remember used to riding in the back of a car in the window? Anybody ever do that? I remember that. Um, but, um, you know, we have this idea of safety in our world. And, 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 and the thought of putting your child in a situation that was unsafe was, was crazy to me. And, he, and then he asked this question, have we ever asked God, God, would you ever put us in a situation that was unsafe? And the answer to that question is absolutely God would. In fact, I, I have, I'm sitting with missionaries, you know, with uh, getting to serve on the International Mission Board who are most definitely going to parts of the world that were unsafe. And then he, Erwin McManus brings out in his book this point of, of John the Baptist. Here is John the Baptist in the middle of God's will for his life. He's following the Lord. He was fulfilling God's purpose for his life and he got his head cut off. But in the midst of that moment, he was in the middle of God's will. So the answer to that question is absolutely God will sometimes put us in a situation that was unsafe. Now, now that was an important lesson to learn because as I got to Mexico, I was with this pastor, and he said, we're going to a prison to preach, and you're going to preach. I was like, super, that'd be great. And, and so we go to this prison, and I'll never forget like walking through the door with Pastor Cesar, who is little, about this tall, and um, and we walked through the door, and I was like, "Hey, Cesar, where's our where's our guards?" And they're, oh, they're not coming in here. Okay, super. And uh, and so the 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 door shut behind me, and we walk out into the prison. I mean, I felt like I was on gangland. I mean, have you ever seen that show? I mean, guys with tattoos all over their head, and I'm like, "Hello." How are you doing? I'm Chris. You know, and it was, and I went to preach, and I was, I was looking around the room, and I'm thought, man, if a fight breaks out, I can't whip anybody. I'm the, I'm the low man on the totem pole here, and and I felt a little unsafe. But God prepared me for that, and and what I discovered, as I got to share the gospel that day, with a room full of prisoners, with no guards around is that following Christ is the greatest adventure that you'll ever know. And, and you know, one of the things that I don't want us to miss as we walk through our lives is this adventure of following Jesus. Because sometimes, you know, I've met Christians that when it comes to their church or when it comes to their walk with the Lord, it's a boring experience. And, and you know, the truth is following the Lord is a lot of things, but it should never, ever be boring for us. 
This morning we're in Acts 19, and it's by far, it's just one of my favorite stories in Scripture, and I don't know how I'm going to preach this in one message, but I'm going to give it a shot. But, um, but, uh, but I want us to see that, that, that God has called us not to a life of comfort, uh, but to a life of contribution. That, that we are called to make a contribution to the kingdom of God. And when we just sang some incredible truths that, that God is faithful in, in good times and in bad times, in Acts 19, there is an impossible situation. There are, there are a couple of guys that I cannot wait to hang out with in heaven. I cannot wait to say, you've got to tell me the details of what you were feeling. Um, Gaius and Aristarchus, we're going to see about them today. But, but in Acts 19, the context of this passage is Paul is on his third missionary journey, and he goes to Ephesus. And Ephesus is this crazy city. I mean, it would be like, um, it'd be like, uh, I'm going to go to New York City or, or Los Angeles and lead them to Jesus. I mean, that's what essentially what Paul did. Ephesus was this major city. It was the cultural hub. It was, it was uh, uh, the, the headquarters of pagan worship. In fact, in the city of Ephesus, uh, there is the, the temple of Artemis, and, and this place was impressive. Artemis was a goddess that people worshipped. I have a picture that I want to throw up here. Um, that then this is what Artemis looks like somewhere. That's not what it looks like. That's me. But uh, there it is, right there. Artemis was uh, this uh, this goddess that people worshipped, and in the city of Ephesus was her temple, and her temple was so magnificent that it was listed as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I mean, think about this. This is a big deal. This, is a, this was a, mag, a, a crazy place. Let me give you some scale of the Temple of Artemis. Ar, this is the goddess Artemis. Clayton, if you could leave that up for me. I just want to just be up there. But, but the Temple of Artemis was, was 165 feet by 345 feet. And it was built on a platform that was 240 feet by 420 feet. Okay, now, most of you are like me and not engineers. Some of you are, and you've already got that scale in your mind because you just did the math, which I'm impressed with all that. But I'm not like that. So let me give you some scale. Um, but the, the ceiling was 60 feet high. So, so let's get a frame of reference of something that we, we've seen recently. This, this roof right here, this roof is about 30 feet tall. Okay, the, the temple of Artemis was 60 feet tall, so you could double this, and that's the ceiling of the temple of Artemis. Okay, so uh, the temple of Artemis was, was uh, on this platform that was 240 feet by 420 feet. Let me give you some scale. If you watched a football game yesterday, a football field measures 360 feet by 160 feet. That's a football field. So basically, the, the Temple of Artemis were, was longer than a football field by 60 feet and wider by 180 feet. 
So, so that's just a scale. It's, it's a massive place. Columns everywhere. These columns were decorated with, with brilliant colors and gold leaves. And, and, and Artemis was, as you see this picture, she's known as the many-breasted one, meaning that, that she was a, uh, a fertility goddess. People would pray to her if, if they wanted to, to, to grow their business or, or bless their family. And, and it was just this this stronghold. And in, in the city of Ephesus, it was interesting because there was a stronghold of a cult in the city of Ephesus. Now, if you remember, Ephesus was where, this is where the church started, in Ephesus. And that's where we get the, get the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians was written by Paul. And, and so in the book of Ephesians, you know that there, there's a description, a biblical description of spiritual warfare. So Paul goes into one of the darkest places to lead them to Jesus. And, and, and it's just an amazing place. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians, or excuse me, Acts chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 8. And we're going to read really through verse 12, but we're going to walk through this chapter. We have a habit of standing in honor of God's Word. We don't worship the Bible, but um, we worship the God who gave us His Word. But, but the reason we stand in honor of God's Word is because God has revealed Himself through this text. And God has, has uh, given us this love letter that we're to understand. And, and I want to say, we don't stand because we worship the Bible. But we understand the Bible is God's Word to us. And so it's just a way to honor the Lord. By saying, God, you've given us this love letter. We want to stand as we read it. And after I, 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 I read the text, if I, I'm just going to say, praise be to God. And I would just, um, I would just love to you, for you to respond to that. Here we go, verse 8. And Paul entered the synagogue for three months and spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took his disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all of the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that he had touched with his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now let's, let's notice this text and stay with me because this is, this is one of the coolest passages of Scripture and this, this movement of God in this impossible situation. Remember chapter 18, we looked at it a couple weeks ago when, when um, Paul was on his way to Ephesus and he goes there and he goes into the synagogue in Ephesus. And he goes in, and they were so excited about, about what he was saying. And remember, he had quit in, earlier in Acts 18. He said, I'm not going to the Jews anymore. But then he goes to Ephesus, goes straight to the synagogue, and, and he's received. And, and they want to hear about him, and they want to hear what Paul is saying. And in, in, verse, in chapter 18, verse 19, it, it talks about them that they said, please stay with us. And Paul says, if God wills, I will come back to you. 
But Paul goes on this this year-long trip because one of the things he's doing, he's taking up an offering for for all the churches in the Gentile churches. So, So he's going to Christians saying, hey, I'm taking up an offering, and that's why he left. And notice verse 8, back in chapter 19. He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Now, now I want you to know this is really remarkable. Because if you you followed with us as we've walked through Paul's missionary journeys, when he's gone into the synagogues, he's immediately faced opposition. He's immediately had, had struggles with the Jews. But here... He's in there for three months. So, so and what's he doing? He's speaking boldly about, about Jesus, that, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the one that the, the Jews rejected. And, and he's reasoning with them. He's taking the scriptures, and now we saw Apollos do this. And this is something we, we should be as believers, able to reason with people why we believe what we believe. And as a parent, I want to challenge you to make sure that you are a mom, a dad, a grandmother, a grandfather that's faithful to sit down with your children and reason with them, why do you believe in Jesus? And I think one of the struggles we're having with, with our culture today is that, is that so many parents are saying, hey, I'm going to let my, my youth pastors disciple them. And we forget, no, mom and dad, it's your job to reason with your kids and help them understand why you believe in this. And so I pray we do this. Paul was reasoning with his Jews. He was, and look at this, he was persuading them about the kingdom of God. As a Christian, do you know that I, I am unapologetic about the call to persuade people? Do you know that we're called to persuade people to believe in Jesus? And, and, and it's so funny in our culture today because we seem to be like, oh, well, I don't want to offend anybody. No, we're, we're, we need to persuade the world to believe in Jesus. And, and I love that Paul did this. Now, now, you see, as Paul goes into the synagogue, look at verse 9, but, but when some became stubborn, so, so they start to follow their, their example, they became stubborn, they continued in unbelief. And isn't that interesting that sometimes we want to continue in our unbelief? Uh, I, mean, I mean, most people just, they don't want to believe in Jesus. They, they, they hear the evidence, they see the, the evidence, but they go, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to surrender. Isn't that our natural tendency? To want to go our own way and not want to submit to the Lord? And folks, this is why I pray we are a people that are willing to submit to God. Like we're willing to allow God to move us. And it says they, 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 were, they started speaking evil of the way. Now, I love this, that, that this is the derogatory term about, about Christians. Oh, these are followers of the way. And I love that because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and I love this, this negative term they gave to us because it's accurate. And, and so what does Paul do? He withdrew from them and took the disciples with them with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Now, this is a big deal. What's the hall of Tyrannus? It's, it's the marketplace. He's like, we're going to go into the marketplace because in Ephesus, they would work in the morning, they would work in the evening, in the middle of the day, they would like siesta time. 
And so it was common that, that the hall of Tyrannus was a place of learning, a place of thought, a place of where intellectuals went. And Paul goes to the hall of Tyrannus and rents a room. And, and Tyrannus lets him do it. Now, now, there's some principles that we see here that I want us to follow along in the notes because God, I think, is teaching us something. That, 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 and Paul does this. Point number one is this. We need to be able to look where God is working and then join him. That's what Paul's doing here. Paul's out, he's serving the Lord. He's persuading people. And all of a sudden, he gets opposition but, but he doesn't go, God, oh no, what are you doing? What's going on, Lord? But he just says, okay, God, where are you working? And then he joins the Lord. And, and that's, what, that's our call as believers. I, I love it when Henry Blackaby taught me that in his, in his Bible study, Experiencing God, that, that to, to learn to look and see where God is working and then join him. See, as a, as a believer, it should be common for us to pay attention to where God is working in our lives. Because God uses good times and bad times. We just sang about that in that really great song that we, we're learning. That, that, that God is faithful in good times. It's faithful, he's faithful when times are going great. He's just as faithful when times are, are bad. So, so God is faithful. He was faithful to John the Baptist when he got his head cut off. And he's just as faithful when Paul gets rescued and gets favor here in the hall of Tyrannus. Now, now, here's some principles that I want you to see that God is always at work around me. You know that, right? God's always at work. And, and so God, there's never a time that God is not working around us. So, so we've got to learn to adjust my life to join the Lord. See, so often we want God, oh, I want you to adjust to my will, my life. But as a Christian, no, we're called to adjust to what God is leading us to do. And that's the call as a believer. And then, then here's the cool thing, get ready to accomplish his activity. Get ready for this adventure to, to serve the Lord where he's at work. And, and I'll tell you, that's, that's amazing to, to, to come to the recognition that I get to follow the Lord. I get to work for him. I get to serve him. And so this is why I pray that we allow God's word to move us, that we, we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, that, that we understand and recognize the joy of living in submission to God. But, but see, our human tendency is to, we want to be in control. But Lord, no, I, I, we are learning the joy of saying, God, you are in control. And you're Lord. And I'll follow you. Now, this is where we learn. This is why the word of God is so important to us. This is why we are faithful to open it. Because God uses his word to help us abide in him. And this is why I pray that every time we come together, that we look to the Lord and say, Lord, um, speak to us. In this room today, I've prayed, Lord, speak to us. Your Holy Spirit, would you move us? Remember what Jesus said in John 15, 5? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, it's this joy of learning to abide in Christ. Look at verse 9. 
Um, but, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And, and, and you know, so, so this is a crisis. This is a struggle. Paul's like facing opposition again, and, and, and it's been almost, it's been inspiring as you watch Paul go from opposition to opposition to opposition. And if you've been with us through this journey of Acts, you're like, oh my goodness, is he ever going to get a break? And we ultimately know when we finish the book of Acts, it's going to end with Paul's martyrdom, where he dies for his faith. But, but, but see, We've got to recognize that, that, that crises are going to come to all of us. And point number two is this. Every crisis of belief requires faith and action. Paul has a crisis of belief here. Okay, Lord, where are you working? Uh, obviously, uh, it's not working here, so let's go to the hall of Tyrannus. And, and, and look at what we know about Paul. The, the entire time, his discussions about Jesus were, were, were bold. And I love this about him. He is boldly discussing about Jesus. The the circumstances don't influence Paul to stop being bold about Jesus. And and this is one of the things I want to learn from from God's word here. That that for us to be that kind of believer that regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the challenge, we we will always be bold about Jesus. And he entered the synagogue and spoke for three months Spoke boldly, reasoning with them, persuading about the kingdom of God. And then he, he goes into the hall of Tyrannus. Verse 10 is, is, is so incredible because, because this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. I mean, this is crazy. Two years he's in the hall of Tyrannus. And, and because of this, I mean, the word of the Lord is spreading rapidly all through Asia. Now, now there are churches, I believe, that are starting from right here. Like, like we, we know records of churches that, that received letters and, 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 and correspondence from Paul that he never went to. Now, how did that happen? Because I think believers were getting the word of the Lord and they were going out and starting churches. And Christianity began to rapidly expand right here. Now look at verse 11. It's really interesting. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Now I want you to notice that word, extraordinary miracles. Now um, I've known Keith Davis is, is a big practical joker. I don't know if you knew this about him, but... but but I have a file up in my office, and I should have brought it, but I, I didn't. I just, I think it, it just drives me crazy, so I didn't want to touch it. Um, but, but it's this guy from California that Keith signed me up for it. It's his handkerchiefs to pray and pray over. He, he sent me a handkerchief that he prayed for. And I'm like, Keith Davis signed me up for this prayer handkerchief from some dude that has a handprint on it. And I'm like, this is a computer. I mean, what kind of idiot is going to actually send this out? So, so I've seen preachers that are sending out handkerchiefs, but I want you to, and said, I prayed for this. So you send me $5 and you'll get a blessing from the Lord. Do not send that $5, please. Do something God honoring with that. And it's not that dude's snot rag. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> Because right here, some people take this and say, I'm going to start my own 
snot rag ministry, prayer ministry to make some money. Okay, God does extraordinary miracles through Paul. And, and this is one of those moments in Scripture, and now you've got to recognize this, there are some moments in Scripture that are descriptive and not prescriptive. Here's what I mean by that. This is describing what happened. It's not prescribing of what you should do. God's doing something unique here. And, and it's really cool, though. I mean, these, these, uh, God was at work, and, and, and these um, prayer cloths that Paul had touched were, were going out, and, and people were being healed. And, and this, is, this is incredible, though. And I want you to notice the, the temptation it would be for a preacher or for a, 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 a person, not just a preacher, a person, to start going, man, look at what I'm doing. Look at, look at this power that I've got. But you know what's amazing about Paul? He, his discussions about Jesus were bold. And the second thing I want you to see here, the discussions about Jesus were clearly about Jesus. They weren't about Paul. Because, see, somehow these handkerchiefs were going out, people are being healed, and everybody's looking at how powerful Jesus is, not how powerful Paul is. Now, this is important because we've got to recognize that, that um, you know, in a day of, of the, the, the celebrity preacher, which has been every day in the history of the world, it's not new to today, you know, are we promoting ourselves? I mean, I, I, I read these books about growing your church, and, and there's these terms about promote your brand, and, and that just makes me sick to my stomach because our goal is not to promote the brand of First Baptist. It's to lift up Jesus. And see, what's amazing about Paul here is, is in, in the midst of all this power, in the midst of all this movement of God, the world knows Jesus more than Paul. Now, this is one of the, I hope so much that when I get to heaven, I get to see the video of this in verse 13. Uh, there, there's this, this story of some of these itinerant Jewish exorcists. Remember, right here in, in Ephesus, there's all this occult. There were Jewish exorcists, and they were, they were going around, around, and they would find these demon-possessed people, and they would say, hey, come out in Jesus' name. And, and I want you to look at this, verse 14. Seven sons of, of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. Now, I guarantee you, this, they messed their drawers right here. Because verse 15 says, they come up to this demon-possessed man and they said, I, or verse 13, I, I, in the name of Jesus, come out. And this, verse 15, but the evil spirit answered them. And would that freak you out? If you go up to somebody and say, hey, in the name of Jesus, come out, you evil spirit, and that evil spirit answers you. They'd be like, oh, okay. Um, and look at what the evil spirit said. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? Now think about the, the magnitude of that statement. Folks, there is an evil in the world. There is evil in the world. And let me tell you something about the evil in the world. We don't ever 
face the evil in the world in our own power. We face the evil in the world behind the Savior. Okay, these men were going in their own power saying, you come out. And this evil spirit accurately says, I know Jesus. Because every evil spirit understands that Jesus is God. Like John 4, when Jesus was tempted by Satan himself. Satan is one being. He's not like God. He's not everywhere. He can be one place at one time. And, and Satan himself tempts Jesus. And, and what does Jesus say to him? I see, this acting, I see this very dramatic. Jesus getting right up in Satan's face saying, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. I mean, I see Jesus going, your God, buddy. And the Bible says in John 4, Satan left him at that point. And folks, these guys, they say to this evil spirit, and he says, Jesus, I know. But also he says, I recognize Paul. Now, I wonder if the evil spirits in this part of the world recognize us. I hope that we are following the Lord so closely that we are in the middle of that spiritual battle. I think there are some Christians and churches that an evil spirit's like, I don't even know who they are. I don't even recognize them. I hope that we have such a walk with Jesus that the evil in the world recognizes us. And so what happened is they said, who are you? And this evil spirit jumped on them, beat them up, and they ran out naked and bleeding. And I hope I get to see the video because I think that's really funny. I think that's one of the best scriptures and I want to watch the movie in heaven. But verse 21, look at this. I want you to see Paul, Paul leaves town. And as he leaves town, this riot takes place. And man, this is crazy because Demetrius is a, is a silversmith. And, and I have right here, this is a little replica of, of Artemis. And uh, one of our, my staff members at Council Road brought this back to me because he knew this was one of my favorite passages. And they would sell silver shrines of this and people would buy them and put them all over their house. And, and it was quite a big deal uh, in, in Ephesus. And, and Demetrius was a silversmith. And, and, um, and, it, and the scripture says he brought no little business for himself. So he's making a lot of money, and, and these silversmiths get, to get together because these crazy things are happening. People are stopping. Um, they're, they're not buying Artemis artifacts. In fact, this, there's a story here in this passage where they're burning all their books, and it's a ridiculous amount of money. They're, they're coming to Jesus. They're turning to Jesus, and this riot breaks out, and it is crazy. And, 
And, and what they do is Paul's out of town, and, and they grab Gaius and Aristarchus. These are Paul's traveling companions. And they grab them, and they said, they, they, Demetrius and the, and the silversmith's union, they, they get all these people riled up, and, and, and all of a sudden, they, they, they're just looking for somebody. They grab Gaius and Aristarchus, and they drag them into the amphitheater. In the amphitheater, it was a, it was a Colosseum-type uh, arena that seated about 25,000 people. So, so Demetrius pulls Gaius and Aristarchus, drags them into the amphitheater, and the thing fills up. So there's 25,000 people there. Gaius and Aristarchus are standing in front of 25,000 people, and, and Demetrius is riling up the crowd. Look at this. Verse um, Verse 29, um, Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions, and, and then Paul comes back in town as this riot is going on. Paul's not there. He comes back in town right as this riot is gathering. And, and verse 30 is one of the coolest passages of Scripture. Because Paul says, Paul, but when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. Now, I want you to imagine this scene. This, the city's in an uproar. Everybody's mad, and Gaius and Aristarchus are, are, are in trouble, and they, they're in front of the, 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 this crowd, and Paul's outside the amphitheater. Everybody's screaming and hollering, and Paul's like, I want to go in there. And I hope, I hope we, we're like that. I hope we, when we face that kind of odds that we have this trust in Christ, because point number three is this, a radical trust in Christ always works. You know that, right? A radical trust in Christ always works. Always. And as this riot takes place, it's, it's crazy. So, the, the, and look at this, verse 31, um, even, so Paul wants to go in, the disciples would not let him. And this is really cool too, verse 31. Even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. You know who the Asiarchs are? They are, they are, these are probably followers of Artemis. These are city leaders. And what's interesting about Paul is he moves into the city of Ephesus and talks so boldly about Jesus, but yet the lost Asiarchs, they're friends of Paul. It makes us realize how we should be in a community that doesn't believe in Jesus. We should be building relationships with people that don't think like us. I think that's what Paul did. Verse 32, they urge him. They were his friends. They urged him, don't go into the venture in the theater. Paul, I know you're going to talk about Jesus. Don't do that. It'll be dangerous. Verse 32 says, now some cried out one thing, some another. The whole assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Isn't that, like, that's a mob mentality. The mob is all together. They're, they're screaming and hollering. Most of them are like, I don't even know why we're here, but hey, we're here. And um, verse 33, some of the crowd prompted Alexander, who from the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, look at this, for about two hours, they all cried with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours, this crowd of 25,000 people are doing nothing but chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. 
And can you imagine what Gaius and Aristarchus are saying to one another? Dude, we're dead. This is how it's going to go for us. Hey, been real, man. Here we go, Lord. It's over. Because can you imagine standing there for two hours, listening to a mob of 25,000 people screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and you represent Christ and all that he's done, and, and you've shared the gospel with this crowd, and you think we're guilty and we're dead. This is not going to end well. And then, what's interesting, verse 35 tells the rest of the story. This clerk quieted the crowd, and he says, hey, look, these guys, you, he says, do you really think they're going to destroy Artemis in all her glory, in all her majesty? And what's interesting about these guys, uh, they said, look, uh, verse 37, for you have brought these men who are neither sacrilegious or blasphemers of our goddess. So these guys didn't go into Ephesus. Paul didn't go into Ephesus and start boycotting Artemis. He didn't go into Ephesus and start telling these lost people, you're a bunch of pagan idiots. He didn't do that. All he did was go talk about Jesus. Let's learn from that. I mean, sometimes we look at a lost world and we say, let's fight this lost world when we just need to be talking about Jesus. I mean... Think how that would change. Voting is coming Tuesday. You ought to go vote. But think how Christians would change the dialogue if we just simply talked about Jesus rather than yelled at lost people. I I think that's worth noting. Um, Then he says, okay, look, we shouldn't be here. And right in front of Aristarchus and Gaius' eyes, the crowd was dismissed and everybody left. Can you imagine what Gaius and Aristarchus were feeling? And for two hours, great as Artemis of the Ephesians at the top of their lungs. And then one guy gets up and they say, go home. And everybody's like, okay, see ya. And they all file out. Can you imagine Gaius and Aristarchus are going, okay, that, that didn't turn out like I thought it would. Well, I guess let's go too. And they left. Now, real quickly, because we're out of time, but there's some things I want you to know. Here's what's interesting. The worldwide worship of Artemis is gone, but Jesus is still changing lives all over the world. I mean, you can go to Ephesus and you can see ruins of the temple of Artemis. Do you know what's sad to me, though, is that the church in Ephesus is, is essentially been overrun by Muslim ideology. And do you know that we're sending missionaries into that region of the world to reclaim it for Christ? Do you ever think about maybe God would call you to go be a foreign missionary? You ought to at least go on a mission trip with us. I just felt like I was supposed to say that today uh, because there might be some out of this church that's called to go to a place like Ephesus to share the gospel all over the world. 
You know what I think Gaius and Aristarchus understood that moment, that crisis moments are the greatest faith-building opportunities? And this is a crisis moment for them. And you know what I found is that crisis moments in our lives are the greatest opportunities to learn that Jesus can be trusted. And the last thing that's on my heart today to say to you, and I'm supposed to say this today, do you know that the Lord never, ever, ever, ever fails? I'm supposed to say that. Because all of us are going to have these Gaius and Aristarchus moments when we're facing an impossible situation. And you know what? There might be a moment in my life that I'm serving the Lord and it requires my life. But do you know that God never, ever, ever fails? We should trust him. If you're not a believer in Christ, let me tell you something. Artemis is one of many false truths that are in ruins. And Jesus will never, ever, ever fail you. Would you come to him? You may be here today and you are facing an impossible situation. I'm supposed to tell you, God never, ever, ever fails. Ever.